This is brought to you by Needed. Let's talk collagen protein. It is definitely one of my faves from Needed. It is third-party tested for heavy metals and sources from grass-fed, pasture-raised animals. Collagen is so great for pregnant mamas as they need their protein for blood sugar management. I personally love and take it now for the role that it plays in my skin. I have never felt so good about my facial complexion. I also take it to help me recover after the gym. It can help with recovery after birth, surgery, fitness, pelvic floor health, and more. You won't regret adding this to your daily routine. I know I haven't. Get 20% off today by using code VBAC20 at checkout at thisisneeded.com. That is VBAC20. You are tuned into the VBAC Link podcast with Megan Heaton, who is a longtime doula and VBAC mom herself, here to help you get inspired for birth after having had a C-section. Along with this podcast, the VBAC Link offers blogs, resources, and a comprehensive VBAC course for both parents preparing for birth and doulas wanting to take their VBAC education to the next level. Be sure to follow Megan and her team on all social media platforms for even more. Although these podcast episodes are VBAC specific, it is encouraged for all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a C-section from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here is your host, Megan. Hello, everybody. Welcome, welcome. We have a really cool episode for you today, an episode that we've kind of been really anxiously waiting for and so honored to be having. We have, uh, we love having birth professionals on the podcast. And today we are so honored to have Dr. Barry Brock chatting with us today about birth and VBAC and all the things. And then we have an extra special co-host today, Kara Sutton, who is actually one of Dr. Hi. Brock's patients. Hello. Hi guys. I'm so excited to be here. So excited to have you guys. Oh my gosh. I just wanted to share a little bit about the amazing Barry Brock before we get going into all these amazing questions that this community has asked. Dr. Barry Brock has been a doctor for over 30 years and has experience in obstetrics and gynecology. He has been attending as a doctor at Cedars. And I believe Dr. Barry Brock, you had your residency there, right? I did. Yes. So that's really cool. So you've been there for a while. And Dr. Brock is amazing and takes pride in giving quality care to all of his patients. And seriously, one of the coolest things, well, I mean, there's a lot of cool things, but obviously with me in the VBAC world, one of the coolest things to me is you have an outstanding cesarean rate. It's very low. And I think that's one of the things you are very well known for, along with helping people have vaginal breach deliveries, which we know is kind of trickling out in the world and vaginal twin deliveries, and of course, VBAC. So welcome, Dr. Brock, and thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, it's my pleasure. Oh my gosh. And yes, and as I mentioned, we've got Kara, who is a patient of Dr. Barry Brock. So Kara, tell us how it is to be a patient. I am a mom of two. I had an emergency C-section and I had a planned C-section due to PTSD from that first emergency C-section. And now I am four months pregnant with my third baby girl and Dr. Brock is my doctor. And I'm excited to be, you know, trying to achieve a Going for delivery it, with yeah. this one. Um, yeah. So Dr. Brock sort of has the LA rep as the go-to VBAC doctor, if you're trying to achieve VBAC. So that is why I'm seeing him. I switch doctors specifically for this pregnancy, which I think is super important to find the right doctor. So I feel really excited and comfortable 
with Dr. Brock for, you know, this particular delivery, especially after sort of the trauma from the first two. And for those of you guys who don't know, Cedars-Sinai is a really famous hospital in LA. We're in Beverly Hills here today. Everyone from, you know, like Kylie Jenner, allegedly, and Jay-Z and Beyonce and all the people have delivered there. So he's kind of a rock star. So I'm, I'm excited. Yes. Oh my gosh. It is such an honor. Such a, such an honor. So thank you both for being here. Yes. And so I kind of wanted to jump in right away and wanted to ask you, Dr. Brock. So why do you think the national average C-section rate is so high? And why do so many doctors just schedule a C-section? Well, I mean... The doctors are very concerned of a healthy baby, healthy mother, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, it takes the stress off uh, the doctor if there's any problems to do with get the baby out. But there's no evidence that we've improved the cesarean section. Massing increases their sex rate, and we've not improved the fetal outcome. So, you know, obviously the system we're going here needs to be tweaked a little bit. But you also need experience. I mean, to do a vaginal breech delivery, you have the ex- skill and expertise to be able to do that. And uh, once you're not doing that, you don't have the skills. So it's a lot of doctors have it's to them. It's safer to do cesarean section than to do a vaginal breach delivery. And I understand that if you're not skilled to do this. And one of the criteria the American College of OBGYN recommends is that if you're doing a breach delivery, you have to know how to do it. And of course, you don't do it. You don't get it done. And the other thing is doctors are very concerned with the fetal monitoring tracing and they are concerned the baby's health and well-being. So, you know, when the baby comes out now, the other side of the coin is, we do lots of their section for fetal distress, but a lot, most of those babies come out screaming. Well, uh, the answer is that you can say that um, we save this baby from getting in trouble, or we did an unnecessary cesarean section. But remember, the results are the mother's healthy and the baby's healthy. There's a higher risk of mother's health, uh, 10 times greater, having a C-section of vaginal delivery, but extremely rare. Um, so that's not... A major factor, you say 10 times greater, but if the incident is so low, you know, it's much greater if you walk outside and when it's raining, you get hit by lightning, but still in LA, it's a very rare thing. So I'm not concerned about that. So doctors want the best for the babies, things like this. And a lot of times they can get away with cesarean section. Uh, some insurance companies pay for more cesarean section. You don't have to go ahead and spend hours and hours in labor there. My philosophy is a little different. I feel anyone can do a cesarean section. But you need the skill and XP. That's an obstetrician to deliver a healthy baby vaginal. Yeah. Wow. I love that. I feel like I feel like we could do a whole podcast just on this question alone because that is such a big question. And like you said, like I love that you touched on like, well, we've got the cesarean, but the baby comes out screaming. We've had people say that. Like, I had this emergency C-section, but then my baby had an eight, nine apgar. So wait, was my baby in distress? So thank you so much for top touching on that. And another big question that we have that a lot of people ask is the big baby question. Like, what if I'm being told my baby really is too big to give birth vaginally? Is that really a thing? What's the accuracy on that? And how would I know if choosing a cesarean is the right choice versus going for a vaginal birth after cesarean? And what's the safety there for the baby? Well, the major concern is American College addressed that is that uh, babies, mothers that are diabetic gestational diabetes, if the baby's over 4,500 grams, which is a very big baby, then consideration should be for cesarean section for the risk of a shoulder dystocia. But that's mm-hmm. it. At 5,000 grams, you don't have gestational diabetes. And that's a huge baby. So what does that impact? Uh, it's like eight, it's like nine pounds. Nine, 12 pounds, something like that. Yeah. So like, a huge baby. 
Yeah. Anything you know? over like 11, they say is like a extra, an extra large baby. And then it's like nine pounds, 15 ounces is where they kind of start paying attention. Right. Yeah. But the major thing is um, biggest problem with shoulder associates. If you have a very large baby and you do a mid vacuum with forceps delivery, then the incidence of having shoulders can be very high, like 25%. Mm. But most of the time, mother nature goes ahead and plants the hat, wants a vaginal delivery. And it'll tell you, maybe get stuck, things like that. But to me, it's always worth a try. Because basically you're saying that if mother isn't diabetic, that you're saying this mother would have died in labor. I mean, I don't buy that. You know, mother nature knows what to do and will give yeah. you a chance to live it. And I've seen it all. I had a mother who had two cesarean sections for a six pound baby. So she just wanted, she really wanted a vaginal delivery. I just waited and waited and waited and she delivered a nine pound baby. Yeah. Mother nature knows what to do. Right. And so for gestational diabetes, people, um, maybe like if they're controlled and everything's looking good and the baby overall doesn't look, you know, 12, 13 pounds, right? This like really large baby, you still feel that it's, reasonable to go for a vaginal birth i always i practically always think this is better always. for a vaginal birth. i mean there are exceptions obviously i don't right. i do vbax after two cesarean section i don't do after three mm-hmm. the instance of you don't rupture we talk of one cesarean section one half of one percent which right. to me is very small and for two cesarean sections it's five percent but then it climbs dramatically after that so i don't don't do Obviously, you have to take a look that the placenta is implanted properly. The patient is under an abnormal presentation of the placenta and the placenta previa or an accreta. An accreta is when the uterus, instead of um, on the surface of the uterus, digs itself into the wall of the uterus, and that presents a major problem. Absolutely. And that's a good idea to be in a good center who knows how to handle it. But of nature, give it a chance. Give it a chance. Hello, women of strength. Today's episode is brought to you by Needed, the leading women's health supplement brand recommended by nutritionally trained practitioners. Let's talk about lactation. Are you planning on breastfeeding? Or maybe you just had your baby and are looking for some extra lactation support. Well, Needed's lactation support plan pairs three essential products to optimally support your breast milk supply, and it's a great addition to mom's overall postpartum care. The plan includes hydration support, which offers electrolytes in optimal ratios to help replace what is lost through lactation. The powder comes in three delicious flavors, lemon lime, grapefruit, and lightly sweetened with only real fruit. It also includes collagen protein since an optimal amount of protein is needed to support breast milk supply, caloric needs, and the blood sugar balance. As you may know already, the collagen protein is my fave. Collagen protein can easily be added to smoothies, tea, coffee, and other food and drink. And because stress can impact supply, the plan includes needed stress support, which offers clinical strength, herbal stress, and lactation support. Save 20% off your first order of Needed's lactation support plan or any of their perinatal nutrition products at thisisneeded.com using promo code VBAC20. Don't let diaper rash come between you and your baby. Diaper rash can be one of the worst experiences your little one has to go through. Keeping their delicate skin healthy and happy shouldn't require a spatula to apply thick and goopy treatments that can be just as irritating and uncomfortable. When my oldest was little, she would get the worst diaper rash. It left me feeling so desperate to help her while also wanting something gentle on her skin. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide. 
It was developed by a mom who is also a doctor. When she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash, she let nothing get in her way. You can use just a small amount of Dr. Mom Butt Balm to help soothe your baby's skin and feel confident that you are making the right choice. Dr. Mom is committed to providing an ultra-premium formula for moms that won't settle when it comes to their little ones. Soothe and restore with active ingredients being dimethicone and petrolatum. You can find more about Dr. Mom Butt Balm at drmombuttbalm.com or find it on Amazon or walmart.com. I'm interested. So why won't all doctors induce the back? So what's the best method for induction and what should I do if my doctor refuses? Well, I, I, I induce for medical reasons. When someone has a previous cesarean section, we don't do the, give the prostaglandins because that shows increased chance of rupture. Mm-hmm. Um, I much prefer all my patients to go into labor spontaneously. I start doing a lot more testing after 40 weeks. It depends on other medical problems, but and I'll test twice a week to make sure the fluid's normal, the doctor flows are normal, NST is non-stress testing, this baby's heartbeat. I consider 42 weeks my upper limit of normal. If someone's, like I said, diabetic, I'll do 40 weeks. Depends on other problems. But I prefer them to go into labor naturally because I think it's easier in the mother and it's higher success of a vaginal delivery. Mm-hmm. But saying that, you know, this week I've had... Um, a mother, she had, ab- her baby was abnormal, and it's going to be fine, but I need, we'll need some heart surgery. And she had two previous cesarean sections, so we induced her, and uh, she had a vaginal liberty. And the baby's like, oh. doing fine, and Yay. we'll need heart surgery, but that's probably three, four months from now. So wow. each person's different, and you have to take everything into consideration. But right now, the idea is to, I like to wait, let Mother Nature do its thing. Keep an eye on Mother Nature, but let Mother Nature do its thing. I love that. Keep an eye on Mother Nature, but let let Mother Nature do its thing. Because we do, we have so many people writing in saying, my doctor says I have to have a baby by 39 weeks spontaneously, or my chances of VBAC are completely out the window and I have to schedule a cesarean. And it, it puts people in a fight or flight mode where they're like out there trying to do all of the things to try and be induced, but it's not working because their body's not ready. When really what we need to do is just step back and let Mother Nature do its thing. Well, there are exceptions. Obviously, someone sitting in my office and it's three to four centimeters dilated and you know, she's 39 weeks and she's it's easy induction. If it's right. long, close and high, I'm not rushing to do induction. Okay. Things like right. that. Right. Um, so it really, each person's take individual get to do that. And that is one of the most important things I think any provider out there should view is everyone is an individual, right? I'm not the same as Kara and Kara is not the same as this mom that just had her be back after two cesareans. We're all individuals and have different situations. So one of the big questions is breach, right? We, if we have someone that is having a breech baby or their baby is breech and not turning, a lot of people just have these repeat cesareans. And we know that you are really big and supporting that. And obviously there are, again, like things that have to kind of pan out, but why do you think breach is really going away? And if someone has a breach baby, what could they do to help avoid that C-section if they don't have a provider like you, that's maybe more supportive in having a breach delivery? Well, obviously because of today's society, very people don't have the skills of a breach delivery. You don't can't have a breach delivery unless your provider knows how to do it. 
Okay. Right. So the first thing I would do is try to turn the baby at 37 weeks. In this country, we do it 37 weeks because statistically, if the baby hasn't turned by 37 weeks, there's less chance it'll do that. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the fact that um, if something happens in the version, I've and hundreds of them, I've never had a problem. But theoretically, if something happens, you do a cesarean section, babies really term at 37 weeks. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's the first thing I would do. And a breech delivery, you know, I treat a breech delivery. I don't care if it's the first time or the second, I do the same thing. I treat her just like head down till she gets around six or seven centimeters diameter, which means the active phase of labor. She can labor mm-hmm. home, whatever, whatever criteria are. But once she gets to six or seven centimeters, I want everything to go quickly. What I mean is I want her to dilate quickly. I want the butt to set, settle down quickly. And I want to push her out quickly. You're not going to push three, four hours. Okay. I'll do that first time mothers. I'm any mother head down, but not with a breach. I want to go quickly. And a lot of babies don't do that. But that's why I say safe because if it flies out, it flies out. I know the problem with the breach delivery. The biggest part is the head, and the head's coming last, and the cord's beside the head. So you have to get the baby out quickly. And using that criteria, I've had very good success and no problems. But I've done many cesarean sections because, obviously, remember, one patient came in. She was nine centers, fantastic. She's great. She started pushing, and all that came down was the testicles. So I sectioned for a 10-pound baby. So Mother Nature's telling you, don't drag. Just because you're committed to a vet, you don't drag the kid out into hell, heck, or high water. So the idea is that, you know, let the baby do its thing. Yeah. The reason we want butt down, especially in first-time mothers, is that the cervix, if it's not, if it's feet coming out, the cervix may dilate at six, seven centimeters, and the feet can come out and the body come out, and then the cervix is not fully dilated and it gets to the head and it gets trapped. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cervix never clamps down. It just never fully dilates. So that's why we usually don't. Footing breaches, okay. we don't do a vaginal delivery. There are exceptions, but rare exceptions. A multibrous patient comes in, the feet are there, and the cervix is completely dilated, it just falls out. That's a really exception to the rule. The other concern with a footling breach is, especially if the mother's dilated, that's a patient's concerning because the water breaks and she's dilated, and just the feet are there, the cord may fall out, mm-hmm. or the cord yeah. prolapsed. And that's so that's a contraindication to try to do something at home. Someone's dilated and footling breach. That's the kind of patient I would bring in the hospital to do a cesarean section prolapses. Yeah, which makes sense. And, you know, there's there's not a lot of you out there that will support or is trained and educated in vaginal breach delivery. And from what we're gathering is it's not really being taught a ton in medical school anymore. Is that correct? Well, I'm not mad at residency, but I mean, I offered to do that, but you know, it's, uh, it's easier. I mean, you schedule C-section, you walk in, it's an hour, you're done versus spending eight, 10, 12 hours laboring this patient. So the incentive isn't there to do that. And so the skills disappearing. I mean, I'm offered to come in and um, assist anyone who wants to do a breach delivery. And I've done that, but not that often, you know, mm-hmm. and the residents are always invited and taken through that. But just because they do, you know, the residency, there's a big staff rotating through. So they may do one or two uh, breach deliveries, but they don't feel comfortable to keep on going out in private practice. So it is a dying art, I'm sorry to say. Yeah. Makes me sad. Makes me sad. So I have a question because I've had two C-sections. 
So how long should somebody wait to conceive after a C-section? I've heard mixed things about this. I've been told mixed information about this, and I just would love to hear your point of view on that. Well, I mean, there's some data that shows that ideally two years apart, but every facts is coming into play. Someone who's much older and has trouble getting pregnant, you can't, someone had a baby at 40 and wants another child, well, luxury of waiting to 42, <laughs> you may never get pregnant. I've not found that a big factor, but statistically, it does seem to be a little safer. But I would just do psychologically what's better for you, how far apart you want to have your kids. And besides, mother nature does help us. It takes a little time to get pregnant as you get older. Mm-hmm. Right. And is the thought that the longer you wait, the more healed your C-section scars are and your like uterus is stronger or is that I just know. not real? <laughs> like Probably less chance of rupture that way or? The literature is, uh, to my mind, not that clear in it. Statistically, it's probably true, but it's like saying you have a greater chance of dying if you're driving at, you know, 58 miles an hour instead of 55. It's true, mm-hmm. but statistically is it really a factor? So it's I'm not, not as concerned about that. Substantial. It's not yeah. anything that's like concrete, yes or no. Okay. And talking about be back after like two cesareans or more, right? Like, what are the complications surrounding C-section or even a repeat C-section? We talk a lot about, or we hear a lot about about the risks of feedback, right? Rupture and things like that. But we don't talk a lot about complications, especially even years later. Like, are there complications for people who've had cesareans even years later? Years later, I don't know much about that. I do know the higher cesarean section rates you have is increase of abnormal uh, implantation placenta, concrete, or things like that that goes up. Mm-hmm. Instances of rupture, the more cesarean section goes up. You know, I've done cesarean sections in five, six, seven cesarean sections. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends, you know, the doctor goes in there while scarring, he says, oh, this is very, very difficult and dangerous. It may give pass that on to next time. But most of the time, it's not a problem at all. So I have no limitations per se how many cesarean sections I'm going to have. Um, I just had a patient right now. She had a cesarean section, section. Then I did a VBAC. Now she's pregnant again. But she wants to repeat cesarean section because she had anal problems and had surgery. So she, her surgeon recommends she doesn't try for vaginal Right. I'm not 100% agreement, but I have no problem expecting your wishes and we set up for a cesarean section. Right. So each case has to be individualized. There's no absolute rules to everything. First yeah. consequences of most of the time for later on, there is, but it's more related to how many times you've been pregnant, not mm-hmm. So, you know, um, bladder dropping, things like this, pre- each pregnancy puts a toll on that. I think Mother Nature planned you to have your first kid when you enter puberty. Uh, I think it's a very bad idea for 13-year-old kids having kids. Yeah. But uh, Mother Nature, the whole planet, that's the animal kingdom. That's what we do. Of course, you, for millions of years, we were dead at 20, but that's a different story. <laughs> I So kind of piggybacking off that question, too, we had someone write in talking about how she had a cesarean, and then they went in for a second cesarean, but they didn't use the same incision. So she's got two incisions, which I had never actually heard of and like in her uterus they like Mm -hmm. in the uterus they cut a different spot is what she said and so she's asking you know like okay so now she's got two incisions in her uterus is that something that would be suggested for her to be back because she'd really like a vaginal birth no it's fine well first of all patient doesn't know a scar in the uterus the doctor and when i go in there unless someone had a vertical decision and no such thing as a classical. Um, we call it a classical incision, 
But that was when it was done, you know, 100 years ago. Years ago. And mm-hmm. they went up and down incision on the belly, and they went up and down incision on the uterus, but at the top of the uterus, the fundus, okay, mm-hmm. which we never do. And that had a much higher instance of uterine rupture. That's what, used to, that's what the adage, once a section, always a section. That's completely false. I would say 95, 98% of cesarean sections are low transversion, but very low in the uterus. But when I go down and do that, I may see the bladder there, things like this. I don't know where the last cesarean section is. I can't see. I just take down the bladder and make a decision, so I, I have no idea in the uterus. And we do know that, like I said, doing cesarean sections, uh, repeat, it's not a problem. We do know that um, I've even done patients who had previous uh, fibroid surgery and done vaginal. It depends. Mm-hmm. And the American College recommends what is the indication for the surgeon when the surgeon does he recommend you have a vaginal. He should tell you that. My philosophy is when I do that, it depends if I enter the cavity of the uterus and whether I recommend a cesarean section. Sometimes the fibers are outside the cavity. And I have no problem doing a vaginal delivery afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done vaginal deliveries after. Another doctor, uh, one of the great many invasives, they did multiple fibroids laparoscopically. And he sewed it up and I asked him, says, well, it should be fine. We do scars. She did great. But great. Yeah, individualized. Exactly. Yeah. Thank so you. So I have a question because I did not have supportive providers in regards to trying for vaginal delivery, in my opinion, for my first two deliveries. I had an emergency C-section and then a planned C-section and nobody brought up that I could deliver vaginally or any of that. I just felt like I had a C-section, so I had to have one the second time around. So I wanted to know, what are the ways to really help someone find a provider who who actually go you know tries for that? I think a lot of women can't find the right doctor who can mm-hmm. do that. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, it's hard to say, you know, um, hospitals do, some hospitals publish the C-section rates of their doctors. That's one way to look into it. But you have to, to the blogs, things like this, you know, no one, you know, you have to talk to your doctor where it's comfortable. I mean, you can't force your doctor something's not comfortable, you know. Right. Many years ago, you know, one of the doctors, the old time doctors refused to ever do a VBAC because he had a bad outcome with a baby who had that. Mm-hmm. So your personal experience comes in. I mean, everyone's trying to do the best thing and they find it would safe for you and your baby. So, you know, it's just, you have to find a match that works with you. When you're interviewing your doctor, what are the types of questions you can maybe ask to get a sense of his or her skill level with it or comfort level with VBAC? Well, let's communicate. You've had, you know, I have patients come into people know I do CSAC. A patient came in, she had four, three previous exam sections. She wanted me to do another one. Uh, vaginal I said, I said, don't. I, my limit is two. You know, mm-hmm. it's, they have it out. They think everything's the same. It is not. So, you know, it's a matter of talking to doctor. You ask personally, um, you know, I'm thinking of having a VBAC. What do you think about it? Let's see what he says. It's, you want to be comfortable with your doctor and listen to his advice. But there's a different opinions out there. But I would, you know, if you're comfortable with your doctor, you trust your doctor. I have no problem. He, he feels because he did have a section. He recommends another C-section. I understand that. You know, mm-hmm. we do know that certain things have changed over the years. I mean, they talk about measuring the thickness of the scar of the uterus, things like this. Yeah. And to do that. Then a study just came out that no correlation whatsoever. I was going to ask that. That is a huge question, too. Is like my doctor said I can't because my thickness isn't thick enough. Or Well, there was no correlation. And I, they made me nervous. I had one. The scar said they had a window in the ultrasound. She had two previous intersections. I deliver baby vaginally, no problem. 
after that article came out saying there was no correlation. In my experience, it came no correlation. But each case is individualized. I mean, if we had a previous rupture, that's a different story. Right. You have no good literature on that. And I, right. it is probably not worth the risk. Right. right. And what about single and double sutures? Oh, the data is shows I always use it up. I've always used double closure. The only time the exception rule, someone's having the tubes tied and I don't save some time because it's not having another cesarean section mm-hmm. uh, or vaginal delivery. But no, literature says a double closure and the second one, imbricating the first, gives them lower chances of eruption. Would you support would you support someone wanting to V back if they had in their op reports a single layer suture? Yes, I would. Uh, okay. so higher incidence doesn't mean it's gonna happen. Right. Um, but uh, as as all patients, this one especially, uh, when you have a previous section, I don't want you to labor at home. That's where I want you to labor okay. in the hospital. And usually uh, it's not unreasonable to place an epidural catheter in, not activate it. So God forbid something happens. We can just give some medication, don't have to put in general anesthesia. Just be mm-hmm. prepared, like the Boy Scouts. Right, right, be prepared. <laughs> you prefer that they labor at the hospital, not at home. Correct. They go yes. labor. Yes. And after you can better monitor. Right, because that's the concern we have the baby, things like that. The baby will tell us something. And, you know, I did a VBAC last night, and uh, she's not that tall. She's only four or five feet. And this baby seemed huge, okay, but it was way out of the pelvis. And the reasons out of the pelvis, Mother Nature doesn't know about these cesarean sections. So first-time babies uh, can go down low in the pelvis, the cervix is firm, and holds the baby from delivery prematurely. But after the first delivery, the cervix can get soft. And so Mother Nature keeps the head high until you go into labor. Otherwise, you deliver prematurely. But that's why the head's high. The higher the head is, that's going to put pressure on the, cer- uh, the scar. But I feel much more comfortable as the head drops in the pelvis, it's getting below the scar. And the chance, I think this chance of rupturing drops dramatically when the head drops in. But thing that mothers may not drop below until I go into labor. Until, yeah, right. Um, and talking about preterm, you know, if someone had a preterm cesarean birth, are they a candidate in your eyes for a vaginal birth after ces- that cesarean? Well, it depends how premature, because baby's very premature. And if you talk about she didn't go into labor, they had to do it done. It depends on the thickness of learning segment. The doctor goes in, he may feel there's not enough safe room to make a transverse incision. So he has to do a low vertical. Mm-hmm. And the low vertical has been associated with a higher instance of rupture. Mm-hmm. Mind you, before we used to say you have to find other records, so that's that, find exactly what type of scar in the uterus is. But now... Uh, American colleges says, no, if you had a previous intersection, unless you know it's low vertical, you can try for a vaginal. But if it's a, a vertical, high vertical, definitely. But low vertical, it is a little different, but we have to wait and see. So I'm, I'm not against doing a repeat cesarean section. If someone had a, a 25-week cesarean section, mm-hmm. and the chances are their own segment was not developed, so the doctor did appropriately to get no harm to the baby coming out in low vertical and extended it up. Right. That makes sense. I know, Kara, do you have another question? I know that we were talking about it before. I was just kind of wondering if I'm preparing for VBAC, is there, which I am, and four months. Um, yay. <laughs> yay. Um, what, is there anything you recommend that that patient should do to prepare for VBAC? I think that's something I think about all the time. And, you know, is there anything a patient should do? 
to prepare for that? There's nothing. There's really nothing that there's nothing magically you can do make any difference. <laughs> well, obviously, obviously you don't you don't want to gain too much weight in the pregnancy. The more weight you gain, the bigger the baby. So that's a major factor. You know, if you start gaining 40, 50, 60 pounds, then you know the baby may be bigger, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, most things you prepare is any pregnancy. Get yourself in the shape before you get pregnant. Get your weight down before you get pregnant. And that's the major things you can do. Once you're pregnant, <laughs> I mean, you could, we tell you not to gain too much weight, but we don't want you to lose weight. Right. Right. Exercise always can be done during pregnancy, but I always prefer getting into shape before you get pregnant. No one ever tells you that, I swear. And so, or at least no one's ever told me that. And I think that that's a good thing to know. Yeah, because you're slender. yeah well just you know just being healthy overall healthy right and that and that's not even just for v-back it's just if you're gonna have a baby like try and overall be healthy in general every every day even if you're not gonna have a baby right but yeah good nutrition and all of that and uh preeclampsia is something that is sometimes developed is it is that something that someone could to have to lack and have a v-back with or yes they're independent events but nowadays we his previous history we give baby aspirin try to lower the incidence of recurring and we keep track of the blood pressure during the pregnancy um but yes uh but you know if i knew the cause of preeclampsia i'll win the nobel prize i mean this is (laughs) yeah this is the mystery of mankind we know what's associated with first-time mothers elderly mothers twins but we don't know exactly the cause of it. But all we can do is keep an eye on it to make sure it doesn't occur. Or if it does occur, to handle it. And unfortunately, the delivery for that, the treatment for that is delivery. Right. And this is this is like an off, kind of a spinoff, but HELP syndrome. Um, if someone develops HELP syndrome and like their platelets are good and everything, are they still candidates for VBAC or is cesarean delivery really safer? Wait, can I even ask, what is that? Sorry. <laughs> First of all, it's a subset of preeclampsia, hypertension mm-hmm. pregnancy, where the mother can get elevated liver enzymes and low platelets. Mm-hmm. And that is an absolute indication you have to deliver the baby. Okay? Mm-hmm. So that's independent. They say you have delivery. Now, people go ahead and say, oh, well, you're remote from delivery. We should do a cesarean section. Mm-hmm. I don't, I have nothing to let you do that. But if the patient, it may take a longer process because she's not ready. But I think she has to be managed in the hospital, blood pressure under control, and she has to go for delivery. Now, it may take a day or two, and maybe she's not willing to wait that long, or a doctor, things like that. But I have no problem as an independent event to have a vaginal delivery if you have helps. But it's definitely an indication. Yeah. Like, isn't that kind of really the only way to help is just get the baby out? Correct. The only way to help help syndrome is the the only way to help help syndrome is get that baby out. Yeah. Okay. That is so good to know because I mean it's not as common um, in our community, but we've definitely seen people ask and and then they worry about with platelets, you know, and surgery, and they never know what's safe or not. They want to do. Well, the other thing is remember if the platelets are low, the anesthesiologist is under hundred thousand. The anesthesia is very leery of putting an epidural. The reason that right. it was final is because platelets are used to clot your things. And if he hits a blood vessel near your spine putting in, you've got an issue. It cause damage and cause paralysis. So right. they really don't do, don't do a, um, they don't do general anesthesia, not a, uh, 
uh, regional anesthesia if someone has low platelets. Meanwhile, I had a patient who had a very low platelets, not from help, but she had something go ahead, and she couldn't get an epidural. So, and we definitely didn't want to do cesarean section because she had low platelets. So we did the old-fashioned way. She didn't have an epidural, and she had a vaginal break, and it hurt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good to know, though. That's really good to know. So as someone who's had a, va- a vaginal birth after two cesarean myself, and obviously Kara preparing, um, we talked about a little bit of like how to prepare, but is there anything that we need to know um, and we talked a little bit about the the risk earlier, but is there anything that we need to know about vaginal birth after two cesarean that we may not hear about with just feedback after, you know, one? I mean, like you said, the risk is higher. Yeah, the doctor may be a little more nervous or leery. Obviously, the threshold for doing cesarean section may be higher, which is understandable. If there's concerns, he may cross-match for blood and have it available in case you need that. That's how the doctors, not the patient do. Like I say, in labor in the hospital, not at home, because if something happens, it's not much. You know, oh, in five minutes, we have in the hospital. That's not true. You're maybe five in the hospital, but at least 45 minutes before you can get the baby out. And you try to hold your breath for 45 minutes. That's not too good. So, you know, so that's why the hospital. But you really, like you say, everything is done before you get pregnant. Try to get in the best shape you can and not gain too much weight and make sure the baby isn't huge. I mean, you know, if someone had a macrosomic infant and is diabetic, you know, doctor made that consideration. Right. So we have a lot of people in our community that don't have the support in their area and do find themselves having to travel long distances to their provider that is supportive. And I think a big worry, right, is uterine rupture. We talk about this, this uterine rupture and it sounds really scary. Are there, uh, and we talked about like trying to get to that hospital as soon as you know, you can but for those who are driving or or for, further away, are there any signs or symptoms that you would say, okay, you need to seriously deviate your plan and go to the nearest hospital at this point? Well, start massively bleeding. If you go ahead and searing pain down the lower part of the uterus, you know, I mean, there was no absolute science to anything. But that's why, you know, it starts up early. That's why you go in early so you, these things don't happen. Thank God the incidence of rupture is very small. In the hospital setting, even for the rupture, there's no guarantee that the baby's going to get into trouble. It's puts at a greater risk. And where if you're not in the hospital, there's risk for mother's health and baby's health. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Obviously. But the incidence is small. But common sense is, you know, if you had, you know, forces and sections and now you decide you want to go vaginally, well, you're putting yourself at, I think, too, too great a risk. It's not worth the risk. I mean, babies don't do well if mummies aren't around. So you want to keep your, make sure you're doing fine. <laughs> I want to make sure everyone's good. Yes. Awesome. Kara, do you have any other questions, especially as a patient? I'm sure you guys have this time in the office to ask as well, but yeah, as we have know, an appointment right after this. I- uh, <laughs> no, I just feel really grateful to have found Dr. Brock. And I really feel that I wish more doctors were as skilled and as knowledgeable as you are. And I just am really, really impressed with your experience level and your support of, of mothers trying to do things the way they want, you know, and the way they, they maybe were made to do. So I just, I'm just very grateful. And thank you for being with us today. I know how busy you are with eight deliveries this week. Absolutely. I know. I'm like, you just had births last night. I'm sure you'll have births today. 
it's always such an honor to have birth professionals on the podcast because these people who are listening to the podcast really are in a very vulnerable state and want to get all the information. And so it's so fun to have, you know, a skilled OBGYN here answering these questions from the community. And it does, it really does. It helps people guide and feel better. And honestly, just hearing the support that you have, no wonder you're the VBAC king and LA, right? Like there's everyone... a lot of other people who do VBACs. <laughs> being humble. Being humble. <laughs> you know, there are, there are, there are a lot of people out there that do VBACs, but it does seem to be harder to find people that do VBACs in the manner that you do, where you're like, let's let mother, let's, let's monitor the mother, mother nature, but let's let mother nature do its thing. It doesn't seem like you have a lot of restrictions, right? And we have a lot of providers out there that do have a lot of restrictions. And so it's humbling to hear that you're like, hey, let's do this. Let's trust the process. I'm going to be here. I'm going to guide along the way and I'm going to monitor, but I want what's best for you. And I want to listen to what you want to do. And I want to support you. So thank you so much for being that person for this community. Well, the other thing is that we say when someone's in labor, I do monitor the baby continuously. Yes. It's not intermittent monitor because I want, that's how we keep track of the baby. And the other thing when you're doing the tracing, a good baby can look bad on the tracing. But a bad baby cannot look good. Mm -hmm. So you have to understand that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if a baby's a healthy baby and has a deceleration, well, it comes back and it's back to normal. That's a healthy baby. Right. But uh, remember, even the worst, the worst tracings, the statistics say that 50% of the times the baby will get into trouble. But 50% it won't. But just mm -hmm. a terrible tracing, you have to follow your doctor's advice and do what he says. But still, hopefully, the results will come back good. Right. And standard standard practice all over the world really is continuous monitoring with feedback because we know that fetal heart dropping and distress is one of the main signs that something, some separation may be happening. So if you're listening, know that it's pretty standard. That's pretty standard care all over the world. It keeps your doctor's coronary vessels doing fine. <laughs> it's a little stressful if you're not mind, you know what's going on. Right. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day and being here with us. We really do appreciate it. All right. Have a good day then. You Thanks, too. Bye, well. you guys. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Tell us about your experience at thevbacklink.com slash share. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to thevbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC Link.